You can't start your own business based around your passion. That's crazy. Where would you get that idea from? If you've ever said that to yourself or heard somebody else say that to you, I have a great guest for you today who actually started a business based around what he was passionate about. His name's Amit Gagalani, and he started a private practice. He was a physical therapist, started his private practice, and scaled it up to 100 offices in 15 different states. Did not know he was going to do that. He just wanted to get out of his W-2 to spend more time with his family, have more time and freedom. Ended up selling that business, and now he's doing something really super cool. Didn't know any of this was going to happen. So I want you to pay close attention to this episode and listen to the story that Amit's going to share and all the useful tips and advice. This is the W-2 Prison Break Show, and I'm your host, Brian O'Neill. My mission through real-life examples is to give you the knowledge, the confidence, the mindset, and the inspiration to break free from your nine-to-five and start the business that you have always known lives inside of you. If that interests you, stick around. Amit, welcome to the W-2 Prison Break Show. I'm super excited for this. This is going to be awesome. Thanks, Brian. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. We met through a mutual friend. Uh, The power of networking is real. We had a conversation. You're on the show. We're going to talk about some cool stuff today, but Amit, a lot of our listeners out there are looking to start a business based on what they're passionate about or maybe something they're really good at. You did that. So let's dive right in and like take us back to when you started your PT business and just talk about that for the listeners. Yeah. So in 2004, I had decided that as a physical therapist, I was good at treating patients and I did what I could in my career, meaning I became a board certified clinical specialist in orthopedics, loved treating patients, but I realized quickly that I can probably do more. And I wanted to go down the path of ownership because I was doing the same things for someone else. And I realized, hey, you know what? I could probably do it for myself. Be honest, I didn't know anything about business. And you had to treat patients, but I didn't know anything about business. But I still made the leap thinking, I guess, retrospectively, maybe I was too stupid to understand that I didn't know enough about business, that I thought that you build it and they will come. Surely, quickly enough, I started putting together a business plan and realized I need to get in there and figure out the business aspects of it. Treating the patients was the easiest thing. Marketing and doing that was a little bit more difficult. But Mm -hmm. I started off in private practice, realized I didn't know anything about business. And I was listening to my friends who they didn't know anything either. They were just blind leading the blind. So I sought out a company that actually trains business owners to be a CEO of a company. Mm -hmm. And I would fly down to Florida and I would take get classes. And it took about five years. But every time I would learn something, I would apply it into my business. So I think the thing is, you have to know your limitations too. You might be good at one aspect of the business, but you need to learn other aspects of the business. And you can't be too arrogant to think you know it all. That was the beginnings of my business journey. And then I also quickly realized that even if I got myself super busy, 100% of my schedule being booked, I wasn't going to make the amount of money that I personally wanted to live the life that I wanted. And I realized I really had to grow it and scale it. Okay. So you shared some really, really important stuff. Number one is you just admitted you didn't know it all. And I think that a lot of us that are looking to get into business, we think we have to know everything. Like you had this specific skill and passion. You love treating people and you went out and the other parts of the business, you know, getting customers, being a CEO, you went and found somebody to help you with that. Yeah. I would recommend though, to anybody listening, do it in an intelligent manner. Like what I did do is from my previous employer, 
I was able to work basically a 40-hour work week by doing it Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays. So I work very long days, and then I open my practice on Tuesday, Thursdays, and Saturdays. So for about six months, I was running hard, but it was very important for cash flow because I had the cash flow still coming in from my employer. And then I started to get, gain cash flow in my business when my business was doing well enough that I could let go of my W-2. That's when I let go because we all have family obligations. We had a mortgage. I had family. I had things. I couldn't just say, you know, screw it all. I'm going to start this and then let's just see where it goes. I had intent and that was more causative than effect. How long did that take? So you're doing both, right? You're kind of building up the side hustle for lack of a better phrase, your business, and then working your W-2 at the same time. How long did that take before you were able to just say like, all right, I'm doing this full time? It goes back to 2004. So my memory of it is a little bit fuzzy, but I'm pretty sure it was about six to nine months that I kind of hung on doing both because I had to build the practice. Got it. Okay. That's a pretty short time window to where you were able to support or replace your income, or maybe was that what happened once you replaced it? What I believe happened is I had a W-2 job and I had a side job. I had income coming in from both of those. As soon as I was making decent money in my own practice, I let go of the side job first. And then as my private practice started to grow even more, then I finally decided to let go of the W-2. So financially, I didn't see much of a hit. Okay, got it. During that time, well, any mindset challenges or anything that you think would be relevant to the audience thinking, wow, this sounds pretty easy. I'm going to do it. I mean, we always like to give the good and the bad. So anything that you could maybe would have done differently or what advice would you lend to someone based on your experience? When you hear me say it, it sounds like I had a lot of gumption to do it. But at the time that I was doing it, I was definitely fearful all the time, like going, you know, how am I going to do this? What am I going to do? But I didn't let it stop me. I didn't let it paralyze me. I knew that this was not an easy task that I was doing, but I still said, let me do it. Because if I don't do it now, when will I do it? Am I going to do it when I have more kids and then more responsibilities and things like that? It was always the, let me do it now. I will figure it out. I will make it work. And I think the mental approach that was beneficial was I needed to jump in there, but I needed to do it in a calculated manner. Got it. Okay. It sounds to me as well. And you let me know if it's different. This is more than just about money for you. Like you had a reason behind wanting to do this. Yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, money's a big driver, but the money allowed me to have options in life that I know I would not have had if I just kept doing what I was doing. As they always say, money gives you options, options to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. Those were the options that I wanted to have control over. And the biggest thing is I wanted to be the cause of my future as opposed to the effect of my future. Effect meaning I'm working a W-2 and I'm being told what to do. I could only go so far in my W-2 job there. I can only working for someone else. And I knew one of my patients when I was working the W-2 had brought me a book called E-Myth. And I read E-Myth and I was like, wow, these are cool. These are really systems. And he said, oh, if you like this book, let me give you Robert Kiyosaki's book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And then all of a sudden, a light bulb went off going, oh, I could do this. Like, why can't I do this? And that's when the whole planning phase kind of started. And I was young enough that I was just voraciously trying to get as much information as I could from wherever I could. Got it. You're consuming the knowledge, but you're also an action taker. So you've got your full-time agency. Now walk us through what happened because a lot of cool stuff happened that maybe you probably didn't envision when you started your private practice. Yeah. I mean, in my private practice, I really started bare bones. I rented a space in the gym and I had all the equipment and I was the only employee. I did literally everything. I was sensitive to cash flow. I didn't want to spend on certain things that I thought I could do it myself. 
Now, to be honest, if I was doing it again, I would be able to do it much quicker because I know what I know now, what I didn't know then. You know, so you learn from it. And I made some mistakes in hiring people. I hired the wrong people. I had hired people that stole from me and you find out and then you have to go through that difficult thing of letting go of people and correcting actions. And then you hire other people. And I took so many courses in hiring and team building, but you still make mistakes. It's perfect. You know, I took so many different business courses, but you still make the mistakes. I think the key is you realize what mistakes you made and then you're correcting them. So the next time around, it's a little bit better. It's a little bit better. It's a little bit better. And then the company grows and then you set out with a plan and the company grows. Yeah. And what happened with the company? I mean, there's so much awesome stuff that you just said. I mean, the perfection is unattainable. Like no matter what, it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have. It doesn't make any difference who you got in your corner. Like you're going to get punched in the nose. It's going to happen. It's just on inevitable. You're going to get punched in the nose. And then you get the other side of people saying, you know what, you have to take action. You can't be analysis paralysis. There's truth to that, but you should have a plan. You should have a plan of like, well, how am I going to still be able to pay my bills? How am I going to be able to do that? Put that plan together. Don't just be like, I'm quitting my job because I had a bad day and I'm going to do something else without an actual plan put in place. Yeah, fine. You want to quit your job? Put a plan in place over the next six months. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take these actions. I'm going to start building this other area. I want to see income coming in before I just drop my income. Do something action-oriented. Yeah. And then over that time period, I kept building my business and I had setbacks too. Like I said, I hired bad people. There was money being stolen. There was things that I hired and then you just corrective actions. And I kept building up the physical therapy company. While I was building up the physical therapy, I was also investing. I love the idea of real estate, but I kept saying to myself, there's no way I have the time to sit there and figure out if some toilet's not working properly. But I like the idea of owning it, but I just didn't want to be responsible for those fixes. And then somebody introduced me to the idea of syndications, which blew my mind. Wait, I could have a passive role in this. I could have passive income coming in. And then I started to learn more and more about it. And I started investing in passive real estate deals. I started not believing so much in the stock market just because of the ups and downs. And quite honestly, my own father, my own father, he would invest in the stock market. He would complain if the stock went down. He would complain if the stock went up that he should have bought it earlier. He complained if the stock went down, I should have bought it later. So either way, he was just never happy with buying stocks. I said, why are you doing this? Why are you torturing yourself? So it's like, I could just see him and then he would just be glued to watching it all the time. I'm like, well, what kind of life is that, that I'm going to be glued to watching it all the time? So I was doing the stock market and I was doing the same things. And I realized I don't have the temperament for it. It's probably not right for me. Another individual, you want to set it and forget it and that's fine. So I had some stocks that were like blue chip and I just let it go, let it sit there. And I wasn't going to look at it. I said, there's a long-term hold. I'm just going to leave it alone. But then I started taking money and putting it into these type of real estate deals because I wanted to build up a passive portfolio. And what I mean by that is I knew my business was building. Okay. And I knew my income was going to build there, but I didn't want that to be the only source of income. Like they say, you want to differentiate your income sources. I wanted to have some kind of passive income streams. Depending on whatever happened with the practice, I would still have constant passive income. And if I keep planting the seed year after year, it would keep coming back more and more and more. So you had a long-term plan. Now, a lot of people know what syndications are. Walk us through that because not everybody knows what that word is. I think we take it for granted as real estate investors, but walk us through what that looks like and then how much time you're actually spending or maybe in the early years analyzing these deals because there's levels of passivity, right? But this is one of the lower level passive income deals. So please. The deals that I was looking at in syndications were like passive enough that I'm not really involved in the day-to-day, that Mm -hmm. I could back the right jockey. And what I mean by that is a good operator, 
an operator that has done what they've done at that time, it was multifamily is where I started. Okay. A multifamily operator that had many buildings, has sold many buildings, has just gone in and out of deals, gone through and been an established company, but has a proven track record of being a good operator. Okay. There's good deals and then there's bad deals, but sometimes if the operator is good, they can mitigate those prices that may happen because nothing ever goes perfect. If anybody's ever done renovations in a house or construction, you know that it goes over. You know time frames go over and there's only so much you can control. But if you have a good team, they can navigate those things. So that's what I was looking for. I was looking for a company that had a good team that there's not going to be like cash calls and things like that that was going to surprise me that they've done this before. Yeah, That's what I started doing. I started investing in those areas that I was familiar with and I could get comfortable with. And I started off with a smaller amount because I just didn't know enough. And then as I saw that those were doing better, those were LP positions, so limited partner positions. So my risk was only the amount of money that I was putting in. I wasn't worried about somebody slipping and falling on the property or things like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so you're doing this alongside of growing your private practice. Talk about what happened with the practice because we're not done with that story yet. Yeah, so 2004, it kept growing. And around 2017, I started, well, probably around 2015, 2016, maybe 15, I started noticing that the healthcare market in my area was changing. There was something called accountable care organizations, which are stand for ACOs. There were hospital structures that were buying over the primary care practices and dictating where they can send their patients, which wasn't to me. The primary care physicians are the internal medicine doctors. They were told where they can refer their patients. And they had to refer them back to the hospital because the hospital bought them. So I was losing some ground there. And I said, at the same time, reimbursement wasn't improving, but the cost of hiring staff was going up exponentially. So I saw my margins were getting smaller and smaller. And I said, well, what do I do? And the cost of health insurance was going up. So I said, you know, what do I do? I can double down and just fight the fight, or I can figure out how to 10X this. And my approach of 10Xing this was looking for either a private equity sponsor or a partner, basically selling a portion of my practice to a larger entity that had scale and that had better rates and that could actually navigate the environment a little bit better. I started entertaining that with different companies. Some of them were already physical therapy companies, which we call strategics. They are larger companies and they want to buy you over so they can kind of fit you into their mold. And then there's private equities that want to buy you and because they want you to be a platform practice so they can build all these practices out of. I entertained both. I figured out from them how they value a company. And I said, okay, well, this is how their valuations work. Now for the next two years, I was sought out to intentionally build my company in a manner that would get the highest value for selling it. And that's what I did for the next couple of years. I literally just built it in a way that it would be so attractive that they'd want to buy it and give me the highest value. And then in 2017, I found a private equity company that was willing to pay a significant multiple for my practice because they didn't have physical therapy in their vertical and they wanted to get me in. So I was one of the first people to get in. And then from there, we just kept building over the next three, four years. So we went from my four offices to about 100 offices across the country in about 15 different states. I helped them do it. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to just venture a guess that you had no idea that this was going to occur when you started your private practice back in 2004. This was not your intention. No, I didn't plan that far ahead. I didn't even know that that was even an option. And before I started my practice, I had no intention of starting a practice even. like I was just concentrating on being the best clinician I could be. Things just started evolving the more I was reading and the more I was realizing like what I could potentially do in the life that I did want to live. Yeah. 
I mean, fair enough, just a series of steps of, of actionable steps over a long period of time and learning and making mistakes and figuring stuff out. And if you were to graph myself, I was yeah. started here. I don't know if you could see my hand. And then I yeah. ended up here, but it wasn't smooth. It was like valleys and things that went up and down all the time. But eventually, every year after year, you would look at yourself, you're saying, oh, I'm doing better than I did last year. I'm doing better than I did last year. But you're still kind of moving up. But week to week, there was all these issues that were always going on that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. It's not always up and to the right as all, all these spreadsheets look like. Okay. Okay, good. And That's I'll tell cool. you one big thing that happened. One big thing that happened that the private equity sponsor that bought over a portion of my practice, because I still retained ownership of a certain percentage, they started having some financial issues. Either something happened up in the C-suite that they did something wrong, but they could infuse our practice with more money. So we basically had to grow from our own cash flow. That kind of limited our growth, but we still grew to 100 practices. But had that not been an issue, we would have probably even grew more. But my point is, things happen. And while it was happening, we're like, oh, my God, the whole reason we did this is so we had a cash infusion so we can actually grow. And that doesn't happen. But you have a good team, you kind of figure it out. Yeah, there's always a pivot. Like you said, there's going to be windy roads and peaks and valleys, and you just figure it all out. Okay, so are you fully out of that business now? And so what happened in 2021, another private equity company came and they bought us out 100%. So my company was bought out and then I'm no longer a part of it because all my shares were all bought out. Yeah. They continue to operate with 100% ownership now. Got it. Okay. So everyone's listening. What is the MIT doing now? I'll tell you in just a second. But the funny thing is, here I am preparing myself for my financial future and I'm sitting there telling myself, I'm preparing myself to the day that when I sell, and I'm going to do all these things right after I sell, but here's what happens. All the things that I thought I would do, oh, I'm going to learn some golf. I'm going to play some golf. I'm going to do investing in this. I'm going to do investing in that. I'm going to do these other things. They literally would take me an hour or two every day, not playing golf, but I wasn't playing golf every single day, as you can imagine. But the things that I thought I would do after I was done would only last me a couple hours a day. And I was like, I'm bored. After a couple of weeks, I was like, I need to do something else. So a funny thing happened to me at the same time when I got completely out. Because I was investing in these passive real estate deals, and I had a lot of friends that were physicians and things, they would jump into my deals with me. Sometimes I would go to these syndicators and say, I have $2 million to invest, but the terms that you're giving me aren't good enough for us. So I would negotiate with a lot of syndicators. I would negotiate for better tax mitigation, for better pref rates, just better everything I would try to do. Imagine I was doing this for eight, nine years. After I sold, some of the syndicators had come to me and say, hey, will you work with us? You keep bringing us deals. Would you help us to raise cash or to do these types of things that you've been doing, literally? And at the time, I was just doing it to get myself a better prep rate. You know, I was just going along for the ride. That turned into a business, another business. Right now, I have a company called AG Management Consulting. It's a consulting company, and we consult on real estate deals. So what happens is different syndicators will come and approach us, you know, my company, mm -hmm. and we have to fully vet them out before we take on anyone. Because if we believe in what they're doing, we're going to share it with our own book of business, our own family and our friends, which we don't want to do unless we believe in them. Yeah. And then we help them as almost like an outsourced investor relations department. So what we handle for them is a whole host of different things depending on what their needs are. But good operators sometimes don't know how to raise the money that they need to get to where they need to go. And they don't know how to, it may sound funny, they don't know how to talk to just investors like I got used to talking to investors and explaining things in a manner. They're good operators. They know construction. They know how to do this. They know how to operate, but they don't know how to nurture investors. Investors have questions and they don't know all their questions even literally. Yeah. 
Yeah. It takes them time to mentally metabolize those things. And you have to kind of nurture them through that whole thing. And good syndicators, they grow, but they don't know how to do that portion of it. So we handle that portion of it. We build that out for them and we handle it for them. I'm fortunate because I get to meet good syndicators and I only work with them if I think that they're good and I would be willing to put my own family's money and my own friend's money. And then we basically help them to build out their whole syndication in that area. Okay. So are you in a way, and excuse me if I'm getting this incorrect, are you really kind of bridging the gap between the syndicator and the investor? Is that what your firm is doing? We're talking the talk. We're setting up webinars to explain the whole investment. We're talking to them. We're like their outsourced investor relations department. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a great business because I mean, I've invested personally in syndication deals and it's always the operators doing the presentation. And sometimes it's like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure about the operators are really good when it comes to doing the presentations. But then after the presentation, taking the calls and talking to them, they don't have time because they're an operator. They have to operate. If they're taking the time to talk to every single investor, they're not doing their job of operating. They need somebody who understands deals and things. And I've been in and out of so many deals over nine years. I've done self-storage. I've done multifamily. I've done oil deals. I've done natural gas. You know, So I've done a lot of different types of deals. So I understand the structure and I can speak to business owners, obviously, because I was a business owner. But I can also speak to W2 people. It really just comes down to when I'm talking to the person, what are they looking for? Are they looking for cash flow? Are they looking for tax mitigation? We're trying to align what their needs are with what the offerings are. And we don't want to ever put anybody into something that doesn't align with it. Okay, excellent. I'm glad that you have a diversification of types of deals. So are you looking for investors? Are you looking for syndicators? Are you looking for both? I guess both with AG management or working with syndicators directly, kind of as their outsourced investor relations. But then when we're working in their company, we are helping them set up funnels. We're helping them set up lead magazines. We're helping them basically creating a funnel and getting the investor down that funnel. So we're setting a funnel, which is getting them in. And the bottom of the funnel is us talking to them and explaining the investment and then helping getting the dollars in for the investment. Okay. So just a question for you, and I'm assuming you know this. Let's just say I'm in the medical. Let's say I'm a physical therapist or I'm in the medical field. I'm not sure what the salaries are these days. I know everything's going up, but How long could it potentially take someone if they just wanted to invest passively, right, in syndication deals? What timeline should they give themselves if they're investing in these deals to where they could get to a point where they might be able to replace their income or close to it? That's a tough question because first, most of the deals that we do are all for accredited investors. Depending on that, just by the definition, they're going to have a high net worth or they can have a high salary. So if they have a high salary, depending on how much free money they have on a yearly basis to invest, it will dictate like how fast they can actually replace it and what type of vehicles they're putting it in. And they shouldn't put it all into one thing. They should have a diversification. They should have some debt deals. They should have some equity deals, things like that. Because if you're all equity, then you're not going to have the cash flow. If you're all debt, then you can probably do better somewhere else. So it's a mixture of it. But for me, I was doing it over eight, nine years. And in that period of time, some deals actually went full cycle and I got my money back, sometimes faster than I expected to. I can't really give you a exact timeline, but I would say you got to start sooner than later. Yeah. No, that's fair. I've, and depending on what your needs are, because of what your family needs are too, right? You might be cash flow sensitive. If you can plant the seed and say to yourself, you know what, I don't really need the cash flow. I want the upside of the equity, you know, as long as you're putting them into good deals, depending on their maturity dates. What do you like right now in terms of like what type of deals are you looking at? What looks good? I mean, everyone's talking about the real estate market and there's a lot of fear. I will tell you 
when it comes to the multifamily ones, and we represented a company and we were very intimately involved to the point that we were actually helping them create the pro formas. We like, and a lot of the big syndicators are doing this too, we don't like to do five-year projects. We like to say that this is going to be a little bit longer. And what I mean by that, the eight to 10-year holds, they smooth out a lot of the wrinkles that are going to be coming up in the next certain amount of years. Okay, Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of uncertainty with the markets on what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So anyone that's projecting, hey, we're going to do a value added, we're going to sell it in five years. Well, we don't know what the markets are going to be in the five years. Okay, We're projecting eight to 10 years. And what that really means is if it comes out better or sooner than that, of course, we'll sell it. But we don't want to tell you five years and then it turn out to be eight to 10. We'd rather tell you eight to 10. And if everything goes well, it might be sooner. So you're never going to get angry then. You're going to get upset at the guy who's telling you five and it goes to eight, as opposed to the guy who's telling you eight and it actually goes like seven or five. Yeah. yeah. And I almost every syndication deal I've looked at was in that window of five years. I can't think of one that was eight to 10. They were. So in an appreciating market, you're going to find those five-year deals. In a market where there's uncertainty, I don't think it's wise for people to put their money into something that's... And this is my personal take that put something into somebody who's saying that, yeah, in five years, this is what's going to happen. Because I don't know what's going to happen in the next five years. Nobody knows. But eight to 10 years, those are cycles. That's how long a cycle takes. So in the eight, 10 years, things will kind of smooth out. And if the project actually is more successful, it'll be shorter. This is great advice. I'm listening to the show. I want to learn more about this and what you're talking about. Like, Where would you direct the listeners to go to? They can email me and I can tell them the deals that we've kind of looked at and we like these operators for what they're doing. Some of them are debt deals that they have and some of them are multifamily operators that have certain niches. My email, I don't know if it'll be in your show notes, but I'll give it to you here. I'll give them my business email, which is Amit, A-M-I-T, period, Gaglani, G-A-G-L-A-N-I, at A-G-M-G-M-T-I-N-C.com. That will definitely so be period Gaglani. They got it. Yeah, that will definitely be in the show notes for sure. And you did a good yeah. job. If anybody wants to pulling it out. If anybody wants to reach out and just say, hey, what deals do you guys have right now? They can always take a look at it and ask questions. Yeah. Awesome. And to learn, I appreciate you giving that out. And I can't tell I give my email out all the time. I can't tell you how many people don't email me. So it's Yeah, you'll get a few people. I yeah. guess other people may listen, but some people listen while they're driving. So yeah. I used to be that guy, by the way, in the treadmill in the morning, get up five something in the morning and then listening to podcasts and they would have to pause it and write something down and then get back on. Or I can't tell you the amount of times that I had to write down terms that I just wasn't familiar with that the podcasters or the hosts were talking about. And then I have to go look it up to gain more knowledge. Yeah, 100%. I love the thing that you said about getting bored and golf only takes up so much time. And do you have anything else that you're looking at? Or I mean, is there another venture that you envision or are you just kind of staying? Well, my consulting company consults on real estate, but we also consult back in healthcare too. So I still have my hands in what we call healthcare services, which is anything that's facing the public. So physical therapy, I still have a mind in physical therapy. And one of our clients is a physical therapy company that's looking to scale. So I'm looking at either starting another company or maybe purchasing another company to get back into it. Because once you've done that for like, I don't know how many years, 20 something years, you always still have the itch because I have the itch for the business side of it now. Right, right. And you're still passionate about treating people, it sounds like. so. I probably wouldn't go down the road of treating people now. I think I can do more with my time and I can hire really good qualified people to be able to treat more patients and to be able to help more people. And I think, like I said, I still have that itch and I still want to scratch that itch. That's awesome. 
and I can do it faster. <laughs> you can do it faster. So maybe this is a good segue into my next question. Can you still have this itch, still have this passion? What advice would you give? We're going back to the beginning. What advice would you give for those that are listening who are feeling stuck, right? They've got this job, this W-2, and they're just like, ah, this isn't for me. But they like their work. They just don't like the trading time for dollar stuff. Any like first steps that you might lend to them based yeah. on your experience? So first, they need to create what their goals and their vision is. What do they want their life to look like? Start with that first and understand what you really want your future to look like. Then take a look and say, well, okay, how do I be causative of my future and not be the effect of everything? And then try to put together a plan on how to do that. Is there a business that you can either get into, use your skill set to actually purchase a business? This is a great time to actually buy mom and pop businesses because of all those baby boomers are now actually retiring. There's a lot of businesses that you can actually buy. And it doesn't mean you have to have all this income to be able to buy it. You can do creative financing. And to get into a business from a, a low threshold point of view and offer seller finance, tell them, yeah, we'll give you that price, but these are our terms. We're going to do it from the cash flow of the business and we're going to pay you, business owner. The business owner gets the number that he wants, but in order to get that number, the actual money being produced in the company is what's going to pay the guy. So you yeah. walk into a company now. It's being creative to get what you want to be able to craft that future that you're looking for. So glad and you shared that. I personally still like taking some portion of money and putting it into some passive deals. It doesn't have to be lots of passive deals, but something, get yourself in. Got it. Okay. You said goals and vision, which I can't tell you how many people I talk to or ask them what their vision is, and they look at me like I'm crazy. People aren't doing this. Setting a vision. It's effort. It's work. They'd yeah. rather be upset about something, say, I got to do something different. But the actual putting pen to paper and writing out or creating a vision board with pictures and cutting pictures out of a magazine saying, I like this car. I want this. So you look at that every once in a while and saying, you know, this is what I'm shooting for. It could be whatever you want. It could be a vacation home. It could be a lifestyle. It could be like lifestyle pieces that make you think of a time in your life where you're actually going to be doing wearing that watch or flying in that plane or going to Bora Bora or something like that. Yeah. It's not difficult to do. If those watching on YouTube, I got a vision board on my wall. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of time to put that together and writing out your vision and your goals doesn't have to be this long and arduous situation. You just have to go do it. So I like that you said it's just, it's effort. So if you're not doing that, if you're not taking the time to do goals and vision, yeah. you probably need to do some work on yourself and look inward and say, hey, do I really want this? Do I really want a different life? Do I really want to get out of this W-2? Do I really want to put the work in? Because it's not easy, right? That's the thing we all business owners will tell you. Like, if it, if it were easy, we would all be doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's easy to fall into a rut and just stay there because your W-2 is what you know, you're comfortable with it, then there's the unknown. And that's where people kind of get stuck. I mean, you could always start with a hot side hustle, have a side hustle, or start putting your money into passive income. If that's your plan of how to get out of your W-2, start putting more and more money into passive income streams so you can actually gain enough money through passive income to replace your W-2 income. At that point, then you do what you want when you have enough passive income coming in. I love what you said about buying a business too. I mean, you make a great point with baby boomers. I mean, the mom and pops need to sell and they're used to getting cash flow, but now you're just taking them out of the business. I mean, I did this in my in my real estate business where I help tired landlords get out of the landlord business. I buy their house yeah. creatively. So you can do the same thing with a business. It's just a matter of coming to terms with the seller. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. You don't need an influx of cash per se to buy a business. You just need to solve somebody's problem. Right. Yeah. 
Have you done that, by the way? Or do you know anybody? I'm looking at it now. I'm in certain groups that do it all the time. And I'm looking at it because if I buy the physical therapy business, that might be an avenue of how I buy it. If I buy other businesses that I look at, I haven't pulled the trigger on anything. I haven't even made an offer, but I know it's possible. And I know other people that are doing it. It does excite me. It is another avenue that I would consider doing, but I'm trying to kind of stay in one lane right now without going off the rails in too many different directions and chasing shiny objects. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you at me, you mean as an entrepreneur, you get distracted easily? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Very easily. Yeah. 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 Guilty as charged. Well, maybe we could chat a little bit about that because I have a hard time focusing on one thing at a time. There's power in that, but I think it's a challenge for a lot of people. They look, our mind is always looking for distraction. So do you have any ways that you, because you just said it verbally, I'm trying to focus I did. I was just at the Bigger Pockets conference down in Orlando and you see all these great ways that other people are making money in real estate. And you're like, you know what? I could actually do this. And then I had to sit back and say, yeah, I could, but I'm doing all these other things. So I need to focus and stay focused. It's great to know this. I don't mind reading it in my off time because I'm usually reading a couple different books, one by audio and a couple by paper. It's great to fill your knowledge banks. Plus, to be honest with you, when I'm talking to investors, I become more and more knowledgeable about different things that I know that can be done too. But right now, AG management has been doing good. We have customers that we're servicing and I can make income there and I can take that income and I can put it back into the PT business because that for me is, I don't want to say easy, but it's something I've done for 20 years relatively speaking, I can just say, okay, this is what we need to do. These are the KPIs that I need. I need to hire a a good operational partner that's going to be doing the day-to-day. I got to set up the marketing. I need to have those things. But that comes at an easier cost than trying to go down a road that I haven't been, right? Yeah. No, awesome. You mentioned a couple of books that you're reading and listening to. Anything that you want to share that would be helpful to, to someone? I love the idea of creative financing and buying businesses, buy then build, probably have it here with me somewhere, but I forget who wrote it. I'm reading that book. I just finished the Alex Hermosi book, which was $100 million deals. I think it was deals or leads. Leads. There's one that was leads and there was one that was deals. So I finished one of them and I'm reading the other one right now. Yeah. Awesome. Now the first one was $100 million offers and the second one- Offers is what I read. Leads is what I'm reading right now. Okay. Got it. I have not read leads. I've read offers. Offers was great. I love it because it's like a big giant book and the words are big. I'm like, this is like taking me back to junior high. I can read this. He said he wrote it for a second grader. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Buy, then build. I'll find that and put that in the show notes because that's going to be awesome for people who are looking to buy businesses creatively. I assume that's the gist of the book. Yep. That's the gist of it. Okay. Amit, as we wrap up here, this has been tremendous. I mean, I really appreciate you sharing your story from working your W-2, building something, you know, deciding that you wanted a different future. Now look at you, right? And you're probably thinking you're just getting started. You got a lot I am. Of That's why I need to focus because otherwise I'd be all over the place. But I feel like I'm kind of getting started with all these opportunities that are out there and help servicing all these companies that are good companies, but just kind of need some help in one avenue. So yeah, awesome. I, I love talking to investors anyway, so it's fun for me. I guess the last question I would have for you would be during this entire process, how important has it been for you to be around the right people? 
when I go to these conferences, honestly, it puts you in a different mindset. You go to these conferences and you think that everything is achievable. You get back home and then you start working. And yeah, it's not always easy. There's daunting tasks. And after daunting tasks, after daunting tasks, after some setbacks, you're like, man, this is a lot tougher. But then you get to these conferences and you're with a group of people or I'm in go abundance, you're with a group of people and it's like, there's no limit. There's no limit to what these guys can do when they put their minds together. It's just, you realize you're like, you know what? I got a good kick in the butt. I need to get back out there and do what I do. So, so yes, like they say, you're the average of the five people around you. I think it's great to be able to kind of hone your circle. Right. And making sure that you're not hanging around the wrong people as well and asking advice right. from those that are, you know, don't do that. That's risky. That's scary. Yeah. Make sure they have similar interests and that they've actually achieved something before you're listening to somebody who hasn't done anything. Yeah. I think a lot of that might be validation of what our beliefs are, right? If we believe we can't do it, we just go out and search for people that'll tell us exactly what we want to hear. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Amit, awesome stuff. I look forward to having you back on and just checking in with you and seeing how your management consulting business is going and looking how you built that and what the next thing might be. But I know you're focused and that's great. Awesome advice. Any final thoughts or anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to share before we go today? Brian, I do appreciate the opportunity to share what I've kind of been through. As an individual that's been through it, you don't realize what you've been through and you don't realize where you came out on the other end. You just think that there's more ahead that you got to do. But I think the biggest thing is anybody interested in the things that I said, please reach out. Like you said, we're always surprised on how many people don't bother reaching out and you feel like you've gained all this knowledge. And if you can just give some of that to somebody that they don't have to go through some of the bumps and they can actually have a smoother ride. So I'm more than willing to communicate and share. Yeah, I could tell you he means it, folks, and so do I. So, I mean, take advantage of the opportunity. All right, awesome stuff, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Make it a great day, Amit. We'll talk soon. All right, thank you so much, Brian. Wow, another awesome guest sharing a story about how you can simply take the skills, the knowledge, and the passion that you have and turn it into a business. Imagine if you could do that. Imagine if you could build a business right now based on what you love And eventually one day, maybe you you get bought out and you get a huge windfall and then you do something else. Thanks for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. If you think that this episode might inspire somebody, please share it. Share it with somebody else because that's how we keep the show going. That's how we reach more people. See you next week. Bye.